We are live. Hey, welcome everyone to Connected Learning TV. Um, this is our fourth and final in this particular series, which I'm very you know, kind of sad about. Um, we've been thinking uh, the month of September about back to school, creating the school year we want to live in. And we're hoping um, before we get started that maybe you'll take a minute to share out with your networks uh, the link to this Hangout. So if you're on Twitter or whatever your thing is, Snapchat, Instagram, whatever. Share it with your with your people. Um, I'm Kim Jackson. I'm an associate professor of composition and literacy at uh, Chico State, which is in Northern California. And I've been lucky enough to get to host and, and talk to these really cool people all month. Um, we spent the month exploring how you create um, a community of kindness, how you nurture inquiry in classrooms, how you distribute expertise. Um, to your students so that they come to see themselves as experts. And, and today we're going to have a conversation, I'm so excited with Kim, Minu, and Wendy, about how they nurture their own professional growth in this really busy flurry of a school year. And these are three of the busiest educators I know. So it is amazing how much they sustain um, their kind of intellectual curiosity in the flurry of teaching. So I'm excited to talk to them. Um, some details really fast. I have my, my bad cheat sheet, but at least you can kind of see it. These are the hashtags, connected learning and B2S for back to school, hashtag connected learning. Um, you can also, um, you can ask questions on Twitter. You can ask questions in the Q&A feature that you'd see in your video player, and we'll try to um, work with some of those questions. We'll do our best to, to answer those, so thanks for playing along. Um, so I'm going to have everybody introduce themselves, and I thought maybe we'd just kind of jump around, maybe like Minu, you could start us off, um, especially where your context is now, and then maybe Wendy and then Kim. Sure, I'd, I'd be happy to. So uh, first of all, thank you to the organizers. Thank you, Kim, for this invitation. Honored to be in this company. And this is a topic uh, you know, that is near and dear to my heart, so uh, happy to just add my own experience to it. For the past uh, 10 years um, of my life, uh, I spent teaching my students high school English in the school district of Philadelphia. And at the end of June, uh, I left that, uh, that uh, uh, school uh, for a brief uh, uh, time to be spent at the Gates Foundation, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, as a teaching fellow. And what attracted me to this opportunity was possibly the hardest professional decision I've ever made in my life uh, because leaving science leadership and leaving my students was the hardest thing I've ever done was because the foundation is really trying to think about the ways to connect teachers to one another and to reduce isolation and help teachers uh, share ideas, practice, and tools to better, better their work with students. Um, and everything I had done up until then inside my classroom and outside of my classroom had been about this message that uh, being connected isn't a luxury. And you know, when when the foundation came to me with the opportunity, it, it was really hard. But if I hadn't done it, um, I, I would have always wondered what might have been. So. Uh, for past uh, almost three months, I've been trying to make sense of what it means to be a teacher, a teacher leader, and a teaching fellow uh, at the foundation. 
and I'm trying to understand how the organization works and I'm trying to figure out how I can affect uh, change uh, from this place. So uh, this is what I've been up to and you know, uh, happy to be here and happy to take part in this conversation. Super. Hi, my name's Wendy Farone. Um, I was a middle school English teacher up in Chico, California for the last six or seven years. And this year, <laughs> this year I am um, down at High Tech High at a graduate school that's embedded within a K-12 community. Um, I'm on a fellowship here to learn more about um, being a school leader. Super fun. And my master's project actually just kind of decided last week is all about teachers making their practice public and putting their work out there and connecting. Um, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like yet, but pretty exciting. Um, I don't have any big changes in my life this year. I'm Kim Dulard, and I am the director of the San Diego Area Writing Project. It's located at um, UCSD um, in La Jolla, in part of San Diego, and I also am a classroom teacher. I co-teach a multi-age class of first, second, and third graders, so it keeps me hopping and busy all the time. God, thanks everybody. Yeah, it's nice to see uh, you have, everybody here has had a lot of involvement too, we should say, with the National Writing Project and, um, or, or with at least our kind of sub, uh, you know, local writing project sites. And it is, I'm, I'm grateful. I think that's how a lot of us, you know, met in some capacity or another. Um, so I thought we'd, I mean, I thought throughout this next, you know, amount of time we'd talk about professional growth, how we do it, how we carve out moments, and then even kind of like what are we reading right, what are we doing right now kind of question. I, but I thought we'd start with like the why. Like why would we take the trouble? Um, it's hard enough to just be in the classroom <laughs> every day and prep and whatever. So, you know, how are those connected for you, the professional growth? When we say professional growth, what do we mean? You know, are you doing classroom research, are you reading things, like what's going on, but but why? why? Why would you do it? And I wonder, Wendy, do you want to start us off maybe thinking a little bit about, about the why, especially since now you're off doing grad school stuff? <laughs> yeah, um, I'm kind of in a, a luxurious place where I get to think and wonder and research quite a bit right now. Um, so <laughs> I do really feel like it's a luxury. Um, I just feel like our students are changing. Um, there are new opportunities available for learning all the time, new ways that teachers are impacting student learning, um, and I want to know about all those things. I want to know how students can be prepared for the world um, outside of my classroom, and I feel like it's my duty to find out as, as many of those awesome things as possible. Um, I feel a lot, a lot of the ways that I connect as an educator, I tried to bring into my classroom as well. Um, so just kind of that transparency. I mean, I feel being connected is is just a human foundation. So it feels like really important work to me. Kim or Minu, you want to kind of chime in on um, the why for you? Like why why nurture your growth? Sure. Um, I'll jump. I'll jump in here. For a second, so uh, to to echo Wendy's words, 
Um, I, I think, uh, you know, for me, the impetus for connecting outside of my own classroom door first was to improve my own practice because I felt like uh, I was being evaluated once a year and I, I really had no idea uh, if I was good or or doing poorly and you know I, I was smart enough to know that I could do this better if I if I had more people that I could talk to about this work. Uh, and at that time, I was in a school where conversations about um, teaching and learning were, were not happening naturally. So I really sought a community outside of my, my school to, to have those conversations. And then, again, to go back to what Wendy said, I think if we are the only teachers for our students, I think we're doing them a disservice. Uh, you know, if my student is is interested in, you know, upcoming biomedical technologies, or if my student is interested in, you know, I don't know, like macro level economics and its effect on, you know. Uh, you know, changing changing poverty and affecting poverty in the world. I'm not expert in either economics or in biomedical technologies, but I probably know someone who can know someone that can be a mentor to my students. We all started somewhere when we didn't know what we were doing. Uh, for me, that, that, that place was the classroom. Um, and I feel like uh, I, I got better at my practice, somewhat better at my practice, because others uh, took took uh, me on as a mentee. And I feel like my students need the same thing. Uh, I don't think they can wait to make those connections when they're in college or in graduate school or out of school. Uh, because I taught mostly 11th and 12th graders, I kind of thought of them as already being in that place ready to make those kinds of uh, uh, connections and to really evaluate, you know, what they're interested in to help them figure out their passion so that they can make choices that line up with those goals and passions they have for themselves. So uh, for me, I quickly realized that I'm not enough and I need others uh, in the room. Uh, you know, oftentimes I talk about um, what would it look like if, if you know, people like you, Kim, were, were observing, you know, teachers like me in the classroom and then we co-wrote things together. How can we make theory and practice valuable? So for, for me, it's the inside-outside. You know, I want to bring the outside inside my classroom and I want to take my students' work public. Uh, those are the things that, uh, you know, I, I try to hone and get better at over, over, the, over these last 10 years. Um, and these are the things I truly believe that that aren't optional. Uh, these are necessary uh, building blocks for for any classroom. Yeah, and I mean, I totally agree with both Minu and Wendy, and they're talking about how it affects your students. And I also feel like if if I want my students to be excited about learning and see themselves as lifelong learners, not as someone who just comes in and sits, you know, does seat time in the classroom, I have to be excited about learning too, and I am, and that, I think that's that 
the piece that I want to share with my students as well and with the teachers that I work with is that we can't ever sit on what we already know. We need to keep stretching and pushing forward and trying new things and getting really excited and I think that's key. If we're not excited about learning, how will our students get excited about learning and see themselves as agents of learning, not just receivers of learning. So Kim, how do you have, since you've got, you know, the, the youngest cohort, I think, of all of us um, in your context, how, how do you model for them? How, what, would they, what would they see as far as how you model kind of this curiosity? Well, one of the things that's really beautiful in my classroom is that I co-teach. So there are two of us as teachers in a double-sized classroom. So we have twice as many students as the other classrooms and two teachers who teach together all the time. And seeing inquiry and curiosity is very obvious when you see two teachers working together, at least in the way we are. And, and developing the kinds of contexts for learning where you don't simply pull out that old textbook that's been sitting in the classroom for the last eight years and go to page three today and page four tomorrow. Instead, you think about what do we need to know about our world? Um, you know, why are those monarch butterflies outside in the planter box? Why do they why do they come there? And what can we do to encourage them? And it's I mean, it's really taking that inquiry approach and and wondering about the world. And I mean, I listen to some of my students and think, oh, I need to go find out more about that. That is an incredible question. So it's that constant give and take. And I do think I, I have to tell this little story. Um, something came up last week and we were talking and I said something about my job and one of my uh, young students, I can't remember if it was a first grader or second grader, looks at me and he says, what's your job? And I thought, uh, this is actually my job. <laughs> and he was like, that's a job? He didn't understand how what I did was work and I totally agree with him. It's not work. It is so wonderful 99% of the time. Sure, I see a lot of the same things, Kim, where, um, you know, right now I'm at High Tech High where it's all project-based learning and making connections with the outside world and trying to give the students an authentic audience for their work. And I just see so much power in that. And the one of the results of that work for our students means that the teachers have to constantly be learning and connecting and wondering. And there's a first grade project going on at my school right now about biomimicry and they're learning about birds, and then from there they're going to figure out how birds inspired flight, they're going to the Miramar Air Show this Friday, they're going to the Air and Space Museum in a month, and meanwhile the teachers are learning a ton as well. They're connecting with the curators of the museum, they're connecting with pilots to come talk in their class. I mean, this kind of structure of learning for students means that the adults have to be learners as well. So um, I'm, I, it's interesting, Wendy and I are both, I think, kind of smiling, too, just because we've done some work together um, with our students that was, um, I think, Wendy, when you and I had your, your seventh graders yeah, and my college students um, blogging together about young adult novels, I think you and I were surprised in some ways at how easy that was. I mean, right, there was some apparatus, but mostly we... You had, well, phenomenal students, so there's that. <laughs> and well, you're good, <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> but I mean, it wasn't, it really was just providing a platform and, and saying, let's do this. And, mm -hmm. and 
uh, there was nothing like my college students being able, who are future teachers, being able to see what your students were capable of and that they were really kind of kicking our butts when it came to how much they were reading, right? Um, and so for me, the, just the labor, I'm willing to put in any labor it would take, and often it's, it's not even a ton just because um, I, I really don't even know how to do this anymore by just closing my door. I mean, I'm just constantly looking for opportunities to connect with another educator, whether it's a K-12 or Tom Fox and I got to co-teach last semester a jumbo section of 130, or I work with science faculty thinking about teaching writing and science. Like, I just, it, it feeds you, right? It just, it feeds you, and then you can be better, better with students, you would hope. Um, you know, um, when you were writing... Can I, can I yeah, you want to jump in first before I ask you a question? Yes, please. something to that? This might sound uh, contradictory to to all of the positive things that we're saying about importance of connecting, and and I hope you know listeners of this will will keep this in mind that obviously like I'm I'm on this because I believe in this I'm on, I'm on this Google Hangout because I believe in this, but I would caution against connecting just to be connected. It like I think. I think what I have found is once you open the door, there will be lots of opportunities that will present themselves. And sometimes, like, you know, building background knowledge or like really honing, you know, certain skills that will not get, you know, uh, covered by, you know, a cool project based learning opportunity. Like, I think that's okay too. I think what I struggled with. Uh, in the classroom was often finding the balance between things that I like thought was like really exciting and innovative versus like just sometimes like you know just the basic building up blocks of teaching and learning that I had to do and I was always trying to strike the right balance in assessment in my pedagogy in in all of the work that I was doing because I never wanted to be so off balance that that my kids you know didn't find value in the classroom and we were just going from one cool project to another project because lots of partnerships were coming my way and I could just always say yes to everything. That's just a caveat I think that's important to keep in mind. No I think I actually think that's a really good point um, and I do think for all of us the connecting is intention, right? It's intentional. It's usually based on something the students have said they want to learn that I'm that I'm not very good at helping with and so let's find other people, which is what you said earlier, right? Pulling in right. from your layers of networks. Um, or something that I just know that I'll learn by hanging out with someone else. So you're right. Because right. you do get lots of chances. You know, Mimi Ito, um, who is down at UC Irvine, made a point to me that has really stuck in terms of uh, for especially adolescents who may or may not have access to different kinds of learning environments that one of the things I could do at the college level would be to open up my class so that they could read with us. You know, just, just and, and she was reminding me that there are kids out there that don't, that, that I could become a hub by just saying, hey, come read with us and blog with us. Um, and so those simple moves, though, too, because sometimes people think this is really complicated, is, is my point, too. Like, it doesn't have to be. You can just say, join us, right? Yeah. So how do you, when you, I, I do want to make sure we don't, I want to do two things. One, um, I'd love to hear, like, how you, my students said today, can you ask them how they find time to read? 
Like they're really worried about, you know, right now here they're college students. They're like, how do they find time as teachers to read? So I wonder if maybe one of you could pick that up. And then Minu, I'd love to hear if your students knew you were writing that book and how that was modeled for them. But where do you guys find time to read? Is it like 10 minutes while you're waiting for the dentist or what do you do? I think that uh, when do you find time to read question is really key. And I want to address it because I think that you do read in 10 minutes while you're waiting for the dentist, absolutely. Um, and you, I mean, for me, like looking through Twitter on a Sunday morning before I manage to get myself out of bed is actually a really useful time to sort of catch up on things that are going on. And I feel like that's part of my responsibility as a writing project director, too. But the, like, one of the things we do here in our project to help teachers find time and carve out space for reading is we do a continuity event that we call teacher research study groups. And we pick some new professional books that are out that have to do with the teaching of writing or topics that teachers are really in our, in our uh, fellowship who are really interested in. And we put them out there for them and say, do you want to read these with some of your colleagues? And um, come over the course of four Saturdays, over the course of six months, and we'll read them together. And we'll not only read them, we'll take what we're learning, we'll go back to our classrooms, we'll try some things out, and we'll come back together and we'll share. So there's the impetus to keep on top of the reading and to um, you know, learn together. It's that it becomes both a social event that's fun and get that professional reading in and you're trying things out in your classroom and really looking closely. It's like what Mina was saying about like cool projects. I think one of our responsibilities is not just to do cool projects but also to really study carefully what's happening in our classroom. What's, what's happening with our students? How are they responding to what it is that we're offering and, and how can we support every one of them, not just the five who really get it and take off, but how can we support that that child who's maybe not getting it yet and help them thrive as well. Did you did you want me to take the writing question? Uh, okay, I'll I'll go ahead and do that. Um, I think uh, they could probably tell that I, I came to work tired a whole lot more than, than usual because I you know I I teach all day and then I would grade and then I would be either up really early writing or writing late at night or writing on weekends um, so I think they probably noticed a change in the level of uh, energy and the amount of coffee I was drinking um, I think I think they had some uh, some clue, but I think they had no idea um, really what I was setting out to do. And and I don't I don't think I don't think I, I could even articulate what it is that I was setting out to do because I was doing it and I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, but I think once the book came out and once they saw like a flyer of it, it certainly made them really proud. Like they were like, "Wow, you did that." Um, and I was like, yeah. And then, you know, a, a, a new layer of my teaching self came out where, you know, I had, a, I had an amazing uh, editor for, for Thrive and I'll forever be thankful to her for, you know, what she calls my love letters to teachers getting out there and, and her encouragement in the highest and the lowest moment of the writing process. But really what it did for me as a teacher of writing is to really think about 
how can I how can I do that for my students? Like that's not how writing feels like uh, a lot of times. That's my greatest hope in the classroom, but that's not what it feels like. And um, so I you know I started to pay attention to the questions uh, that she was asking, and I started paying attention to the way she was gently pushing me and nudging me, and uh, but always letting me know that. You know, this was my my work, and and I had the final say. And those are the things that I started thinking about that I wasn't thinking about uh, because I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't writing a book. <laughs> so, one of the important. Um, one of the important things in my class was making sure that I had time to read the young adult books um, and the scholarly books. I felt like <laughs> that was a challenge at times to keep up with both, of course. Um, audiobooks have always been my friend, sped up quite a bit, like at twice as fast. Um, it's great for when I take the dog for a walk. Um, now I have a little bit of a commute, so I listen to a lot of audiobooks. Um, but I always had time to read in class when I was a classroom teacher, and so I always read along with my kids, so that helped me kind of keep up. Um, gosh, and then I've partnered a lot with other teachers on my campus to share um, instructional books, so books about practice. Um, we would kind of maybe find something in our practice that we were curious about and then seek out some resources and then read those in partnership. And I was definitely stealing any little moment that I could, you know, 20 minutes here, 10 minutes there, but it, it felt like that was the way I needed to be a reading and writing teacher. Um, and even now, the school where I am, it's an elementary school, and we have a huge professional library for teachers. And I was thinking about the move of my director to do that, because I think in my classroom, I would always set up you know, tons of books. And I wouldn't necessarily assign the books that the kids had to read, but I just created a huge, um, you know, just lots of access to great, great literature. And my director does the same thing. She provides access to fantastic professional resources, and she models reading and doing book chats. I mean, so for me, now in this new role this year, it's funny to see how many of the moves are really similar in a school leadership role as they are in a classroom teacher role. Um, so, I mean, I th and I, I kind of have a professional book buying obsession. I haven't read all the books that I have, but I love buying them. <laughs> so, they're on my to-be-read list. <laughs> That's awesome. So, um, you'll appreciate that, um, so we've been reading in the, I have a teach course called Reading Literature for Future Teachers, and we've been reading Donalyn Miller's Reading in the Wild again, and doing all the things that she says to do um, in, our, in our college class. And I was feeling a little guilty about setting aside time to read. Like she says, if you want people to be readers, then you better give them time to read. And that felt like, oh, my student's going to think, um, well, I could have done that at home. Why are we taking 20 minutes of class time, you know, to read? So I, I broached the subject a few weeks ago, and of course, like, resoundingly, like, huge exclamation points, like, thank you. And so we start um, every Monday as uh, class with 15 minutes of reading, and we read chapter books, and we read Donald Miller, and we read whatever we, you know, what mostly we've been reading young adult novels. And oh, what a gift, like, what a gift to have, to have time time to read. Yeah. 
don't know if anybody else wants to chime in on that. Uh, one one practical tip that I would share with listeners or, uh, and, and others is creating a Goodreads group with your class is the coolest way to keep track of like who's reading what and and not assigning like meaningless like turn in a picture or tell me what happens at the end of chapter two or who's the most interesting and not none of that just like uh, like Wendy I had a great classroom library I was really sad but I gave it away to other teachers I felt really good um, lots and lots of uh, books and access and time for reading but then, you know, creating this online uh, community where kids can write reviews, kids can recommend books to each other. On a single page, you can scroll down and see what every single kid is reading. If a kid hasn't moved, you know, beyond a book uh, in in a number, you know, weeks, you could go up and just have a very natural conversation and be like, hey, I see that you're still on that same book. Is something challenging you? Do you want to abandon it? It's totally okay to abandon it. Um, and you know, there's no punitive like uh, you know attachment to to that conversation. So Heidi, so the other then the follow up question to that too, um, which by the way, you know, I'm like in love with all those all those ideas, right? About let's read like people read and write like people write <laughs> on the planet. Like <laughs> this is a good thing. Um, the follow-up question too would be, so how do you all find stuff? Like who do you turn to for your curators of text? And that could be sites or people or whatever, but how, how do you find what you want to read or think about? Uh, Donalyn Miller. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I, I have a large group of people I'm friends with on, on Goodreads and I'll see like a book like all of my friends are reading the same book and, and something will tick and often one author will lead me to another author and one book will lead me to another author. Uh, something that, that I think I do that you know probably like uh, I, you know maybe maybe others do this too but I tend to read things uh, you know outside of uh, the field and even outside of typical literature and, and young adult literature, you know, I, I read like random science books or behavioral science books or even business books, uh, not because I think they're all great, but just because I think, uh, you know, creativity happens at the edges of where two ideas meet and I'm always looking for those edges and I'm always looking for those connections. So. Um, I tend to I tend to read widely and and all over the place. Yeah, I think uh, Twitter is another great place to um, find out what people are reading and what's new and interesting. And and I think, um, like Mino just said, that it it gets it's not just in the field. I'm not just looking at um, teaching books, right, or education books, but I also read for myself as a human being and um, I, I do read a lot of young adult uh, literature but not for my students because my students mostly aren't reading young adult literature but I read tons and tons and tons of picture books and my latest favorite is wordless books and how much you can teach writing with a wordless book I think is an amazing piece. So you know just thinking about all those places out in the world but you know Twitter is a really great place to get inspiration I think. 
In fact, I'm going to free jump in, but you could jump in next. Let's let's hang on Twitter for a second because I think um, I, I, I get resistance with, with Twitter um, with educators, particularly with pre-service teachers. Like they do not believe me yet that Twitter can be useful, and I have to remember how long it took me to curate. Twitter, so that it now I can't now I can't even imagine right. Like I start my day, that's how I find out what's current research or current books or you know following Donald and all of you. And so, can we like what? How long did it take for you to get to where Twitter was useful? Why would it be worth the effort? And how did you how did you start? Wow, that that's a super hard question on Twitter because I was thinking about my very first experience with Twitter is like my husband and I took a road trip across the country and I experimented with Twitter like it was almost like writing short form poetry along the way as he was driving and it was like that isn't actually really I don't know it's not how I use Twitter at all anymore so it's an interesting sort of first foray into it um, and I don't know how I got to where I am now and I yeah I use Twitter actually a lot and I do it I would I, I you say that you get that resistance from pre-service teachers um, I get resistance from all teachers, which is very interesting, whether they're new or not new, um, because it feels overwhelming. And I've heard people describe it as a fire hose, right? So if you go onto Twitter and you just follow lots of people or you just follow inadvertently, you can get this huge fire hose. So I think it's um, that you that use that word curated. How do you figure out who you want to follow and um, then follow selectively at different times for different reasons. Um, I think it takes a long time. I think I've been on Twitter for a while. So I, I think that's probably true for all of us, right? That it takes a while to figure out who you most want to follow and how to, how to do that. I, I'm actually a big fan of, I think every teacher, every, I think everybody should be involved in Twitter. It's just such a powerful tool. Um, our students have Twitter accounts too, and we, my first week in my new school, I noticed that our school didn't have a Twitter account, so I started one, and we have over 100 followers now, and I love getting into classrooms to use Twitter to, to help share our story of our school. Um, I, I love to use Twitter to find articles, to find meaningful work. Um, I, I use it a couple of different ways. I have it on my phone so I can capture a few minutes at a time to read and kind of catch up with what's new on you know, what people are posting. Um, but I also will sometimes, uh, I've been using TweetDeck now because I have now these two accounts, my personal account, um, that I curate professionally. I don't tweet pictures of my lunch. Um, and then I also have my other, my school account now. So I use TweetDeck to kind of manage that. Um, I love participating in Twitter chats. Um, the English chat was kind of my gateway into, you know, why Twitter should matter to everybody. Um, I just felt so connected. My my seventh and eighth grade position, I should mention, Chico, I was the only seventh and eighth grade teacher, so I didn't feel like my my pull to become a connected educator was that I didn't have anybody else to connect with at my school, so I had to find it outside of my building, and Twitter really helped me do that. Um, so I, I feel like it's a really important way to connect outside of our classroom. Um, thank you, Wendy, for the in-chat shout-out. Uh, I totally appreciate it. Um, 
I think I, I think there are there are like uh, several different ways you know I I read or or use um, Twitter you know when when people reply to me or ask questions even if I'm really really busy I always try to get back to them because if someone uh, you know has taken the moment to like reach out to me or you know share uh, their reaction to my work or ask a question um, I always try to think of it as being part of a community and and the golden rule um, and so I've, I've tried to adhere uh, to that um, I've tried not to fall into the how many people I'm following and how many people are following me comparison and like comparing my account with with other people like you know I just you know whatever you know whatever I, I I'm thinking about or or working on I try to share um, and I think it was a lot easier for me to share um, snippets of my classroom like a funny thing a kid said in a discussion or uh, an you know a moment of like wow like this is why I became a teacher or like a new activity we were trying out or the prompt in the morning I used to share I think in my new role I'm finding hard to figure out what the balance is between like what's an internal conversation what's an external conversation and how do I make sense of it so I guess in, in some ways I'm trying to figure out like my my Twitter life now and uh, to be completely transparent and vulnerable it's kind of hard uh, like I don't you know like I don't uh, wake up with a uh, or go to school and and am hugged by my kids like those those things were like really easy to talk about uh, on Twitter so I guess now I'm trying to figure out um, you know what it is that's useful to share because sometimes I'm just in meetings and you know that's that's what it is it's, it is what it is um, I, I guess in some ways I'm making connections via uh, Twitter or discovering people that should inform the work uh, here at the foundation so I'm still keeping my eyes and ears open and I'm still trying to figure out like you know who are the people and who are the teachers uh, that we should be paying attention to and learning from and learning with that we're not uh, so I guess uh, that's another way I'm, I'm thinking about using Twitter now you know, I love how you know as your identity shifts. That I think that's so true. That the so the you know identities on our social media shift too as we have yeah, in our lives. It's really interesting. Like sometimes, like you know, like I can tell when I haven't posted in a while. Like that means like I haven't been excited about something in a while. Um, I always used to post like really weird things like I always used to try to read like at least one poem a day with my kids or even if I didn't share the poem with my kids and I used to share that out like just thinking that like somebody like maybe a brand new teacher in Iowa like reads that and like feels some connection to it uh, not that that wasn't like my grandiose thought but I you know I, I, I did little things to just share uh, moments from my classroom hoping to uh, give uh, inspiration and and build a sense of community with other teachers that were doing the same work uh, that I was doing. Yeah, I, I like to all of you are talking about kind of the responsibility and intentionality, right? Like we're not just 
I don't just share something on Twitter to share something, right? Like I'm trying to be intentional and thoughtful about um, have I have I actually read the article I'm tweeting before I tweeted out those kinds of things. You know, we got a really good question too um, uh, going on on Twitter as far and and I don't have to work it around this at college like y'all do. So so people are already going to wonder how do you deal with the firewall like Wendy? If you I know that because we did a awesome Twitter chat with your students one night and it's because they all have Twitter accounts so how are you working around that? Sure so I was able to pull up really fast and post on Twitter in response to that um, a post by Alice Keeler and she, she set up this awesome spreadsheet where the kids have access to the the Google Sheet they can put in what their tweet is and then she has access to the spreadsheet and can tweet from the spreadsheet. It's it's super amazing. So anyway, I responded to that Twitter question with that with her post, her full blog post of some workarounds for using Twitter in your classroom. Um, but yeah, it it can be a little bit tricky, but I think that that's she has some super ideas. That's awesome. Um, what are y'all reading right now? <laughs> but Kim, what are you reading and thinking about right now? Well, I have, I have actually a whole stack of books that are sitting right over here that we're using for study groups coming up with, in the writing project, which there's all kinds of cool stuff out here. There's some new Heinemann, Writers are Readers, and Writing with Mentors, and uh, Teaching Arguments, and you name it. Boy, we're, we're just reading all kinds of things. And I've been reading one about, um, I can't remember the title of it, it has to do with... Um, critical thinking in the classroom, which I'm really interested in, and about the, uh, particularly the importance of language and the language that you use in your teaching is one that I've been reading. And of, of course, I'm also reading uh, Little Robot, the graphic novel by Ben Hatke. My kids are absolutely loving that, and they were so upset that their time got squeezed out today to read it because we had to do a writing assessment. So, you know, reading all the time for lots of reasons. Um, I can I can share next. Um, I'm reading Creativity Inc. Uh, it's the Pixar uh, story uh, about you know the way that um, organization uh, can you know keep themselves from being stifled and where uh, you know creativity and and um, new ideas are really fostered in uh, complex organizations. <laughs> Uh, you could probably tell why I'm reading that. Um, and uh, I want to read Standoff by Andrew Smith uh, next, the young adult novel that came out at the beginning of uh, September. And I'm looking forward to that as well. I have a lot of books that I'm reading right now. Um, I am reading a book called Learning to Improve um, about improvement in school. Um, I'm also reading my audiobook right now is called Getting to Yes about negotiations um, <laughs> and I'm also reading the book uh, The Art of Coaching so I feel like I have a lot of learning in my new role which is super fun um, and I have a couple of young adult books that are on my to be read list 
So I had this great moment this summer where I was retooling uh, one of the reading literature course and to make it, it's mostly a future elementary school teachers and so at previous I had mostly worked with young adult novels so I was trying to get my hands on newer children's books. So sitting next to me right now is like a million Great. phenomenal, <laughs> like Kim will recognize for sure all of these books. Like I am in love with like totally in love with every single one of these books and um, I pack them around everywhere I go and hand them to people because I'm obnoxious like that. Um, but what's been really fun um, for me is seeing and having conversations about how, particularly it seems like right now, maybe Kim, you'll agree that there's there's a move in children's books that really honors curiosity and really honors inquiry. And my generation grew up with Curious George, and no 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 dis, no you know dismissal to Curious George, but he was always getting in trouble for being curious. You know, and it seems like this next generation of children's books is really honoring, like, what do you do with an idea, and isn't this an amazing thing? And so I appreciate how much that they allow curiosity to kind of um, be a good thing. So I'm reading that's I'm reading that in Vygotsky. You know, that's kind of my world. I read learning theory and children's books. The perfect combination, I think. And I and I love children's books for the language in them, and I see that as such a rich. Um, resource in my classroom and I hear my students use the same kind of language that Helen Frost just used in Step Gently Out or you know one of those kinds of books and it's this rich mentor text for them to draw on to take their own writing to new heights so it's this we, we read like readers we read like writers we read like scientists we read like explorers we you know we are all of those things and so it's so great to have books that feature women explorers and women innovators and even when they're little girls because they're going to grow up to be women. Um, you know there's all these wonderful things I think in literature these days more so than even when my boys were uh, the age that I teach where there was nonfiction was kind of lacking in those days and it's so good now. Nonfiction are wonderful now. One one plug for a great uh, children's book that I just finished reading is The Day the Crayons Came Home. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's an amazing book uh, that you can use to teach uh, a point of view and uh, just pushing the boundary of storytelling. And I would I would love to see kids like pick another object and if they get lost, where would they go? <laughs> I, I could just have so much fun with that. Uh, so yeah. Okay, and the last last children's book plugged in is I, this has been my new favorite, and it's hilarious because <laughs> we have to work with fairy tales. Um, well, I don't mind working with fairy tales, but I like to complicate fairy tales. And this this book, I can you probably know this book is there. They get to this and they're like, you, this can't be a real story. This little Red Riding Hood story. There's no way they wouldn't know that that wasn't the grandmother. Like it just it treats kids as being smart, which I totally love. Um, so the other thing that um, the incoming cohort of teachers wants, wanted to know is where do you start? Um, which is one of the reasons, Minu, we were talking about your book Thrive today in class. As I just said, I thought this is a really good gift for new teachers because you do have some also practical things in there. So what would, be, when you guys talk to um, and you know, can you keep bringing up too, even veteran teachers like who are feeling isolated um, where do you start? Because it can feel 
Twitter can feel firehose. It can feel overwhelming to turn to people. So what what would be some suggestions? Mina, you want to kick us off? Yeah, I can. And and thank you again for sharing uh, Thrive. I I hope it's of some use to your students and and our our collective future because they're going to be leading classrooms. Um, I I think I would start by if I did one thing that changed my uh, practice and and the way I made sense of the complexity of the classroom is I wrote when my students wrote when they would do their uh, beginning of the class daily journal I would also write and I would write about things that weren't making sense to me in the classroom I would write about a kid I was having a difficulty connecting with I would write about something that went well and try to figure out what about that went well. And I I kept I kept these teaching journals and I still have them and you know I would love to do something with them one day. Um, and they're such rich history, you know, they have like little they have children's names that I was thinking about and and I, I think if you can do one thing as a teacher is to bring some intentional reflection as a daily practice and I think that's not only like a foo-foo nice thing, nice thing to do I think it might actually save you because the classroom will challenge you the classroom it will be painful some kids stories you'll never be able to forget and you'll have to make sense of difficult interactions or, or a, a thing that you said that you wish you hadn't uh, and you'll have to live those days and if you write about it it might be a little easier and you can even write things that you're grateful for that that are going well so it doesn't all have to be like difficult things um, and I think what that will do is it will alert you to what are your needs not the check off like PD fill out a form or go online and pick a PD course or meet me Wednesday afternoon at 3 o'clock with some new teacher coach that doesn't really know you. You will, as a teacher, have the know-how and know yourself as a teacher and then you can be uh, an advocate for yourself and then you can do all the other things that I've talked about in Thrive, which is finding a mentor you know, joining your local National Writing Project site, you know, finding a professor that you still want to keep in touch with after you've left uh, school. But I don't think all of those things can really happen till you yourself know what it is that you need. And then you can say, you know what, I am going to go out for that coffee or, you know what, I am going to send that email. And then you can take charge of your own learning path. But first, you have to do some reflection. I, I agree. I also wanted to share some uh, some interesting ways that we promote conversation here at High Tech High. Um, and this comes from the Expeditionary Learning Schools as well. And they are big proponents of protocols. And I think one of the things that the protocols offer is that it allows for an even playing field. So I think a new teacher has a voice within a protocol that maybe they don't, they wouldn't necessarily feel that they have in just a general planning conversation. So I linked um, to the protocols that we use pretty regularly here. One is a project tuning protocol. 
Um, and I link the facilitation page, and it you know it involves some clarifying questions, some probing questions. There's room for discussion, um, and then the presenter, the one who's coming with the with the project, will um, kind of sit back and allow the group to talk for about ten minutes and take some notes, and then there's an opportunity to sort of close the loop. But the cool thing is that everybody has a voice within the protocol. Um, we have norms that we follow. Um, so we have a, the project tuning one, and then the other one is a dilemma consultancy. And I, I find that one really powerful and meaningful as well. Um, just for all the, all teachers to feel like they have a voice and something to add to the conversation. It, in addition to having a voice, I think you also learn a lot about instructional practices and push your thinking about what you're doing in your classroom, whether you're a first year teacher or 15th year of teaching, um, kind of based on you know, the, the different discussions that are happening. It's pretty cool work. I've really been enjoying it. I love protocols, and we use a lot of them here in the writing project, too, just for that very reason, because they, they let everybody have a voice. Um, I heard Minu say, connect to your local writing project, which I can't say enough, because I feel like it saved my professional career. It's been such a lifeline to me and such a a way to stretch my thinking, push my thinking, stimulate um, the kind of intellectual curiosity that I think I would have had it anyway, but it certainly offered a opportunity and a venue for it. But one other thing that I think it's accidental and maybe sometimes our best um, resources are accidental, um, another writing project colleague and I started having breakfast on Friday mornings before school because she had a late start and I had a coffee shop near my school and we would meet at 7 o'clock in the morning and have coffee and talk about teaching because we craved that opportunity to talk about teaching in a safe relaxing outside of your classroom sort of space and um, you know she retired and moved to Hawaii so I'm not still having coffee with her on Friday mornings but it's evolved into this opportunity for some of the teachers who are interested in my own district who we we have two schools and so it's an opportunity for some of us to get together on Friday mornings and we've been inviting newer teachers to come and have coffee and breakfast with us on Friday mornings at our local coffee shop and just talk about things we're interested in and what's going on in your life and what what are you curious about or how are you trying to do this particular kind of project or you know how is this working for you and sharing resources ideas and being human together which I think is a big part of our profession that sometimes gets pushed aside that we are human beings and when we're happy and content and able to talk about things that translates in our classrooms and we make better connections there with our students as well so you know if it's just having breakfast with some colleagues at seven o'clock on Friday morning you know my principal knows now if I'm a, coming in at the bell that it's because I've been having this great conversation with my colleagues at the at the local restaurant you, you know what else I like about that Kim is um, and I think this is probably the other thing that's that has happened from reaching out and it's something that Minu was addressing way back at the beginning of this talk is that I get a lot of requests now for your time right like a lot of colleagues want to go to coffee and talk about 
you know, something, something, because I teach writing, and a lot of us do, that they want to talk about how you teach writing. And at one point, I, I was feeling pretty overwhelmed by those requests, because I like all those people, and I, I would love to have conversations with all those people. And the best advice I got from Tom Fox, who's part of the National Writing Project, was to, to do it together. Instead of these one-offs, you know, these, like, meeting with one person and another person, say, how about, like you just said, Kim, how about Fridays at, well, whatever time mm -hmm. we, uh, we set aside this time, and I have this group, and come join us. And that's been so helpful and nourishing, and I also then don't feel like I have eight of those going on in a week. I have, and then people get to know each other. So I think um, that there's, it's not trivial, right, to say the coffee, the coffee thing <laughs> with the group of people. Yeah, I had the same experience. Um, you know, uh, in Philadelphia, a lot of teachers uh, individually were reaching out to me uh, at the tail end of summer. Like, you know, can I work with you on designing curriculum? Can I work with you on planning for the year? And I kind of took what you said and and what uh, Kim said earlier and combined it into this like working group, a breakfast working group, uh, and even even during the summer, like, I would get together with this uh, same group of teachers and, and we would plan, plan together, but instead of doing, like, coaching or support or just being a critical friend to each of them individually, I just said, I, I, I can't manage that. <laughs> Uh, you know, in one-offs, we're, we're going to have to meet as a group. And, and I think the conversations were richer because of it. So uh, a great, great idea, and, and I've lived it, and, and it works better. So we're going to run out of time, you all. Um, any final thoughts that you'd like to share? Any favorite uh, Twitter hashtags you got going right now? Any favorite things I should read next? <laughs> um, I, you know, I would, I would just say, um, you know, if, if others are listening to this, uh, would just love to connect afterwards and things that stood out to you and, and make it truly a conversation because sometimes it's hard to be on this and, and on the Twitter feed trying to follow it. So uh, this is just an invitation um, to keep in touch and, and share what, what people are working on. Yeah. I agree, Minu. I, I also think uh, I'd have to put a plug in, too, for Writing Project. Um, it's been a big source of my connectedness. And actually, I was so excited, Kim, when you sent out the original email. I noticed that Kim was um, down here in San Diego as part of the Writing Project. And so we actually were emailing back and forth regarding Writing Project and kind of let her know, like, once this all settles, I want to I want to get involved with the writing project down here. It, it's such a great place to sort of like a foundational grounding spot for connecting and making, making your work, you know, more substantial. Yeah, and we should let people know that um, if, if they're not familiar with the National Writing Project, you don't necessarily have to be a teacher. You don't have to identify as a language arts teacher or a teacher of writing to do that. It, all of us teach writing, whether you teach science or you teach history or you teach whatever. And so it is an interdisciplinary group and a K through college group, which is what I think makes it so such a rich experience for a lot of us. Kim, any final thoughts? 
Uh, <laughs> I, I do agree with the whole writing project thing. I'm just going to put in this one little plug. If you follow at stop underscore fellow in on Twitter, that is, we have one teacher in our writing project tweet every week, and they're the weekly uh, Twitter fellow of the week, and they're sharing a little glimpse of their day in the life, week in the life of a teacher, human being here in the San Diego area writing project. So currently Janice is the, the Twitter fellow and she is sharing what's going on in her life up in Oceanside. Next week it'll be a, a TKK teacher down in San Diego tweeting and it's a different different person every week who it's a, way, it's a great sort of ease into Twitter. They don't have to have their own um, Twitter account to do it. And it's just if you follow them it's kind of a fun thing to see what teachers are up to in San Diego and they share lots of wonderful things. Janice found uh, they're decorating the trees with um, uh, crocheted stuff around her her uh, school today and she tweeted that this morning. So there's lots of cool stuff going on if you want to follow a, a Twitter fellow. I saw that. I saw that crocheting tree thing. That was cool. <laughs> and you know what, I'm totally stealing that idea. You just gave me the coolest idea. I'm thinking I could just have students be the Twitter fellow for the class for that week and they could try it on and it doesn't feel like such a huge, like I have to have my own account, I have to curate followers. That's brilliant. Like that would be a good way to just even get in is to distribute the responsibility for some of this network building. And we so, stole it from Sweden, just so you know. Sweden I, has a different citizen of every week. Just, okay. just to know. I love that. <laughs> Okay, so I just want to thank you all so much for such a great conversation and I think a good combination of some really practical things including texts or places you can go and just also why, I think the why. Um, you can, can continue the conversation on Twitter um, using the Connected Learning or the B2S hashtag. Um, we'll put up a full video recording. Um, pretty much right after. It happens really quickly. And then you can share this with your networks if you found it helpful. And I really like the, um, I get the newsletter from Connected Learning. And if you go to their website, you can sign up for the newsletter. So thanks again, everyone. Thanks so much for a bunch of great conversations this month. And take care. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kim. Thank you. Mm -hmm.